Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-379. This is Chris, your host. It is the second weekend of the new year, if you're on the Gregorian calendar, introduced by Pope Gregory the Thirteenth in 1582, to upgrade the Julian calendar, because if your calendar is messed up, all your holy days hop around, and it makes it harder to anesthetize the medieval masses with religious chicanery. Or something like that. Anyhow, before I scurry down another rat hole of historical events, let's talk about the wild and wonderful world of endurance sports, or at least our little corner of it. It's been a busy few weeks since we last talked. On the day before New Year's, I guess you could call that New Year's Eve, but it's New Year's Eve day, December 31st this year, I hosted my fifth Groton Marathon which is a made-up event (laughs) where whomever wants to show up and run shows up and runs whatever they want. And we set up a clock so we have a real start and finish, and I post the times to a website. I guess you could call it pretend official. The curious part is that a handful of us go out and run an actual marathon through all the local towns. And this year I got four other guys to join me. But the weather did not cooperate. It was around 2 degrees Fahrenheit at the start, and it never got out of the single digits. I ended up stepping into the sport vehicle at around 21 miles because I was suffering. We went out a bit fast for me, and I didn't have any legs left. We, We had to go a bit fast in the beginning to get the feeling back in our toes and our fingers from the cold. It's tough to run a marathon in that weather because, you know, you don't want to overdress and freeze solid with the sweat but you don't want to underdress, so it was miserable running weather. There was this one stretch from like 18 to 21 where we turned into a headwind, and it was it was awful. <laughs> the other four guys finished successfully. My friend Gary, he ran in with a 352, and the other three guys came across around 355. So the next morning, my family and I went up to run the Hangover Classic in Salisbury, which is our tradition on New Year's Day, and the deep freeze did not abate. It was minus 19 with the wind chill. Yeah, minus 19. So I ran the 5K with Teresa, 
and she came in fourth in her age group. And then, yes, we did. We ran over and jumped in the ocean. And I was a bit worried about surviving this, but the water actually felt warm compared to the air, so it wasn't so bad. The water in the ocean at this time of the year is like 35, 36 degrees Fahrenheit, and it had steam coming off it like it was a big hot tub, right? Because the outside air was so cold. Interesting. That same day, the first of the new year, according to old Pope Greg, I started my 30-day diet reboot with my nutrition coach, Rachel. And I'm off the beer and the bad food for a month. I'm logging all my food in my fitness pal. You can go look at that. And I'm posting a daily blog about it on my website, Run Run Live, under a category called 30-Day Diet Reboot. But you'll see it if you just go to the main page. And on top of that, Rachel is looking over my shoulder, reading my post, and commenting each day on her site, nextlevelnutrition.fitness. And the links are in the show notes. So if you want to play along, you can play along. What we wanted to do is to give people an actual case study of how she and I approach the combination of fitness and nutrition. And in today's interview, Rachel and I talk through all this and hopefully makes sense and it can help some folks sort through all the misinformation that is out there around nutrition. In section one, I'm going to muse a bit on why I think I'm ready to take on a 100-mile race this year. In section two, I'm going to disassemble the off-quoted phrase, no regrets. So I had something happen to me this week that was a first for me in my running life. Have you ever heard the old joke that goes something like, I don't jog because I don't want to find a dead body, right? Because for some reason, those news stories always start with, found by a jogger. Well, I was running down by the Charles in Boston this week, and the weather had warmed up above freezing, and the sun was out, so I made a concerted effort to get out at lunch. Boston got over a foot of snow during the cyclone bomb event last weekend, and the bike path was still covered in places. I had about an hour and 15 easy runs, so it wasn't a problem to navigate around all the sloppiness and snow. It was a fun run. So I ran up a river to one of the far bridges and crossed over and came back across the next bridge to get a sort of lollipop route of the right length and time. And since it had been so cold for several days in a row now, the full expanse of the Charles River was frozen over all the way down to the Museum of Science. So all iced in. And there's one bit along Starrow Drive at the Boston University Bridge where the bike path abruptly runs out of room. And they route you out under the bridge into the river on a wooden bridge to get around the abutment and back onto the bike path to head up river. And right after this, the snow removal ceased and we had to navigate some lumpy footpaths for a few hundred feet. And when I met another runner or pedestrian there, one of us would have to give way on the snowy single path. And it was in this dicey section on the way back that the lady runner, who I had passed already going out, she stopped and started talking to me. I had my headphones in, but she said something about they were pulling a body out of the river up ahead and they were breaking it out of the ice. And sure enough, when I went on the wooden plank section that hugs the abutment, there was a clutch of police. As I came to it, I was expecting someone to stop me, and I asked the one sad cop standing there, 
if I could sneak by, and he motioned that it was okay. And not more than 10, 20 feet from me, there were four more officers of some type carrying a stretcher up the icy bank with the body. And they had the top of the torso covered, but a man's boots and snow pants stuck out from the waist down. And the state police were there. They were interviewing a shaken-looking runner and looked like a good runner. I remember passing him and thinking, he's the real deal. Skinny, athletic, underdressed for the weather. He must have paused for some odd reason to stretch or to catch his breath between intervals or something to cause him to look over that wood railing into the river under that bridge. I kept going. They had Starro Drive West shut down. There must have been 15 police cars there. So that's a first for me. Never had a CSI moment on one of my runs before. So, my friends, as you're out and about today, you may have your head cold or your other challenges, but you're not toes up frozen in the Charles River, are you? You have that going for you. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Why a hundred miler and why now? How does one decide to run a hundred miles? These are excellent questions as I find myself somehow inexplicably registered for my first hundred miler. How did this happen? Well, it happened as I was thinking about something I could do this year that would challenge me in a real and significant, let's say meaningful way. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing. In a, in, in a way, it was. But it was also the natural progression of a career of experience. I had been looking at what I had accomplished over the last decade or so, taking stock, reminiscing. And I was quite pleased with the review. Truth be told, after all these years, I am starting to feel like a real athlete and not just a pretender. I have run over 60 marathons of some sort or another, and this is since turning 34, 20 years ago. I have weathered some significant challenges. I'll be running my 20th Boston this year, and I'm back in qualification. I've been consistent in my approach, my effort, my attitude, and I think I'm a better person for it. I've learned a lot of things. I've learned about my machine and the limits of human endurance. I've learned about my edges and how my self-awareness ticks. And somewhere along the way, this journey moved from being goal-based to adventure-based to discovery-based. Along the way, I've done a smattering of triathlons, mountain bike ultras, obstacle races, all challenging in their own way all successful in teaching me something, all meaningful. I like the process of incrementally reshuffling the deck and playing a new hand every now and then. And I have gone longer. Ironically, my first 50-miler was a topic of the first season of the Run, Run, Live podcast 10 years ago. I have run 13 marathons in 13 months. I have run them on the coldest days, in the darkest of times, and lived to tell about it. I have run long relay races as part of ultra teams. It's all part of pushing the envelope. Not so much that it tears, but enough to find the plasticity of it. I've had many adventures. I feel like an old sea captain sometimes, leaning back in the rocker on your porch, telling tales of mermaids and dragons. 
with the salt of the sea tinging the air. Did I ever tell you about the time? This hundred-mile epiphany occurred to me in a couple of ways. I never desired to run a hundred. I actively eschewed the idea. But the convergence of forces in the universe outsmarted me. When something manifests more than once, it is the universe talking to you, and you should listen. Those who were paying attention during my latest debrief with my coach may have heard the first, the first inkling. I asked him if he thought I could run a hundred miler, and he immediately, no hesitation, said, you could run a hundred miler easy. And I laughed. A deep, fun laugh. The thing is, subconsciously, I had just been given permission, even maybe endorsement. And that morsel, that kernel of an offhand remark was lodged in the permafrost of my subconscious. Now, the second manifestation was when I was doing some meditation. I was riding the subway to work in the morning. The meditation was to put yourself at the end of your life and think about all the things you had wished you'd done. Somehow, while under that hypnotic spell, that kernel of thought about the hundred miler dislodged itself, and my subconscious said, This! This! The universe talks. I listen. Why had I resisted the hundred mile distance? I knew I could do it physically. At least I knew I could make a show of it. That part didn't scare me. Although I still remember how shattered I was physically and mentally after running the Vermont 50. I was walking around like a car crash victim for a couple of days. The logistics of it seemed a bit of a hassle. Having to run through the night, that didn't scare me, but it didn't appeal to me either. I like my sleep. Having to provision a crew, the effort seemed a bit a bit too much overhead. My engineer brain added up the accounting and totaled it up to a lot of work for a lot of suffering. I guess I'm in a different place now. I think the right place for this effort. I think I have the mental maturity to train and run the 100 miler now, and I think I have the physical maturity as well, the capacity to train and run it now. I know how deep I'll have to go mentally, and I'm not sure I have the mental strength to do it. That interests me. We will be plumbing new depths of that mental well that we endurance athletes draw from. There's no guarantee I can do this. I don't particularly like hard things. I'd like everything to be easy. That's ironically why I train so hard and so consistently, to make the racing easy. There is always that point in a marathon where it could go either way. That point where I'll either dig down and get it done or say, F this, and give up. And that's the test. It takes some mental strength even to show up for the test. Once you're in it, you just execute that day that is given to you. I can do that. I'm ready for that. I'm ready to train and to show up to take that test. And I want you with me on this journey. Because like all journeys, it will contain some interesting points, some forks in the road, some undiscovered country, some lessons learned. And this is the stuff of life. Bring it on. Let's go! indestructible. And now for today's featured interview. So give us your 200 words or less here on who you are and um, what you do. About myself. 
so I am also a runner like you, Chris. And as I was running, I was learning that, man, the more I can really dial in my nutrition, the better my performance gets. And then, you know, how one thing leads into another and you go down the rabbit hole. And for me, that was nutrition. So then I started taking classes. Then I started experimenting with myself. And basically what has happened, long story short, I've ended up running this nutrition coaching business. I teach college nutrition classes now, and I'm currently working on my doctorate in clinical nutrition. So I've segued from a Spanish teacher to nutrition, I don't know, nutrition nerd. (laughs) Nutrition nerd. I like that. But it's good because you came into this as a student. And I think that's a great way to approach any topic as a student because there's so much pedantic and misinformation around this topic that it's really hard to sort out anything useful, right? Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of information out there. (laughs) And I'm still a student and I'm always learning. So like I said, I'm just the nutrition nerd that just going through the books, going through the being my own guinea pig and all that good stuff. Right. So when you and I do these things, we work well together because we have a similar headset, right? We have the same sort of amateur athlete background or or hobby, but also the same view of, of nutrition in the yes. sense that yes. I'm not super worried about losing weight. That's more of a symptom than a goal. I mean, it's always a goal, but 100%. it's more of a symptom mm-hmm. for me. I'm focused on mm-hmm. eating healthy and learning about what goes in my body and then looking at the results I get from that, right? And I think you're the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I really like to tell my clients, focus on the health, focus on the nutrition, focus on the real foods, and the weight loss is a side effect of those things. So yes, yeah, we're definitely on the same page about that. Yep. And in terms of what we do, it's nothing really crazy. It's not paleo or any of these sort of fad type things. And it's not restrictive. It's basically eat clean and describe to people what eating clean in in sort of our viewpoint is. Yes, correct. We're not following any certain diet plan. We are following good old fashioned. We cut the crap and we put in the good stuff. So that means you're not eating the refined flours. You're not eating the processed sugars. And unfortunately for you right now, that also means the alcohol had to be drastically cut back. (laughs) But you're eating a lot of really nutrient-dense food, and so that's where it's at. So the big win this week is uh, Friday night is typically my beer and pizza night. So uh, that would typically be a <laughs> three to 4,000 calorie night for me. I'd stuff a, a large greasy pizza down my throat with uh, three or four craft brews. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that, that and, didn't happen last night. Well, and Chris, don't you find as a runner that you, and especially someone that runs a lot of miles, you can justify that in your head? Like, it's fine. I can have all this food because you're running it off. Yeah. And then you forget about like the side effect of this food isn't giving me the nutrients that I need. Like we just kind of conveniently forget about that side of it. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying because this morning I woke up early and I had a lot of energy as opposed to being sort of fuzzy headed and kind of feeling gross on Saturday morning. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So in terms of when we say real food, it was funny. I went uh, grocery Mm -hmm. shopping today and I basically only went down one aisle. If I didn't have to get plastic bags, I would have only gone down one aisle at the supermarket, right? Which was the vegetable aisle. <laughs> I love and, it. Yeah, and I ended up spending probably 40 to $50 less than I would usually spend. And the reason that is because there wasn't any meat 
in there. I'm not a uh, flag-waving vegan. Uh, I just look at the calorie investments and the health, and it's just easier for me to get nutrition I want from vegetable sources most of the time. I'm not vegetarian or promoting veganism or anything like that. I think you can get some really good quality meat, but just as Americans, we just eat too much meat. So, you know, eat food, mostly plants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's so always some, good when you're saving so, money and eating healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you only have to go down one aisle. Yeah. Well, you so must already Rachel, have some stuff supplied at home. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you some specific questions here from our week, right? Okay. The first thing is you're always beating me up for drinking too much coffee because I love my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me why. I know you do. Tell me, why you, tell me why you don't like coffee. Well, okay. Let me be clear. A set amount of coffee is fine. You know, you're 8 to 16 ounces. I don't really have a problem with that. But when you choose to drink 32, 48 ounces and you're not drinking other things like just plain water, you're, you're losing some benefits. And too much coffee can upset the mineral balance in your body. And you are an athlete who's out there, an endurance athlete at that. So you're out there sweating and you're losing minerals already. So we don't want to keep upsetting that balance. and so it, does, it has a diuretic effect, but oddly enough, if you drink coffee regularly, it loses some of that diuretic effect. So I'm not like super worried about that, but I don't like it when that's the only thing you're drinking yeah. because it, it can upset your body's balance. And also caffeine can be hard on your adrenals and so can endurance training. And so then combining the two together, it can be tough. So if we can do some so water and some coffee. Mm-hmm. You told me it's a uh, very acidic coffee is. Well, your body is going to have to pull some minerals to help metabolize that. So, yes. And what I've been doing is I've been replacing that with some tea. So I've been experimenting with tea. I like green tea, which is also pretty highly caffeinated, by the way. But it is better yes, for you. It does have caffeine, but it also has some other things in it that coffee doesn't, like L-theanine <laughs> or threonine. I can't remember. But, you know, that's the thing. That's a, a relaxing component that coffee doesn't have. So there's different benefits to getting different things. And like I said, yeah. Another big part of my successful habit breaking is meal prep. And you and I sort of agree on this. Talk to us about using meal prep as part of your strategy in these programs. Okay. So meal prep is, unfortunately, it is probably one of the most important things you can do because we all know the saying, if you don't have a plan, you plan to fail. And when hunger hits, I'm like, it hits, right? So you need to have already have this thought out, prepped out. If you wait until you're hungry to eat, which is fine, nothing wrong with eating when you're hungry. But if what you have available is something healthy and taken care of and done, you're going to go for that. But if it's not, I mean, what do we all do? We reach for the pizza or the fast food or whatever is convenient. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of the most important steps for setting yourself up for success. I find... Two things. One is uh, the salads, right? Make the salads during the week. So I package up a whole bunch of salads and containers, probably like 10 containers full of salad. And then I take those yep. for, for lunch every day. I used the bigger containers this week, which worked better because they're only like half full. And then I could throw an egg or whatever on top and it wouldn't be over full. And the other thing I do, we talked about this, the other meal prep win, which is probably the more important one, is dinner. Because when you roll into the house at 8 o'clock at night and you're exhausted and you've been making decisions all day, you are very susceptible to coming off the rails. <laughs> so you got to have stuff ready to go when you walk through the door. 
And for me, that's brown rice, it's beans, which we'll talk about that more, but just something that's already cooked. Yeah, absolutely. I find that one of the biggest things that people struggle with is they say, I do great for breakfast, I do great for lunch, and then I come home and it all falls apart. And so for you, you know your go-to is the brown rice and the beans. For a lot of people, it's really helpful to do a crock pot meal in the morning so when they come home, it's done. They don't have to make that decision. They don't have to invest that energy. Just having, or, you know, even for some people, a smoothie, having a smoothie, just taking that edge off till they can make a decision. That's a good one. (laughs) The other thing that we talked about was dressings and sauces, because a lot of times I'm Mm -hmm. just eating brown rice and beans. It can get pretty boring. So I use a lot of hot sauce, just like chili sauce, but you had some suggestions around that as well, because you got to be careful. I make my own salad dressing because if you ever read the labels on store-bought salad dressing, it's all, it's awful. (laughs) It's it's really bad for you. Uh, Yes, store-bought salad dressings, you are going to be hard-pressed to find some that don't uh, contain additives, extra sugars. I'm like, that is one of the hardest ingredients to find that is what I would call clean in the store. So yes, making your own is crucial, making your own sauces. And you know what's nice, Chris, is that even though we're not paleo, we're not ketogenic, whatever, so many of those programs follow kind of the no processed sugar thing that you can start finding recipes easier and shortcuts to be like, oh, I'll make this dressing or I'll make this sauce. And it's totally real whole food ingredients. Yeah. I mean, the point is you spend all this time and energy making this beautiful 500 calorie salad with lots of greens and colors and vegetables in it. And then you drop this stuff on top (laughs) of it. It's like another 150 calories of sugar and fat. So it's just uh, and and chemical too, because it has to be shelf stable. So they have to put that stuff in it. Whereas the stuff I make doesn't have to be shelf stable. And what I'll do is I'll take a salad dressing bottle, one of those plastic ones that I'll take an empty one and I'll refill it with my own. So you still get the squirt top and it's the same form factor. Mm -hmm. It's just what, and all I do is I mix olive oil and uh, balsamic vinegar and I'll throw some cider vinegar, some mother vinegar in there too, just to get a little bit of that Mm -hmm. uh, probiotic. Cider vinegar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the olive oil vinegar dressing couldn't have a better choice. Yeah, I like it. And the other thing I'll throw in there sometimes, which oddly enough, is pickle juice. And well, just, I mean, it's a different, about it. It, yeah, it's a different flavor. It's basically just vinegar and water, but it has a nice salty right. sort of taste to it when you mix it with the balsamic and the olive oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually so a really good thought? idea. I, I had personally never thought of that. <laughs> Especially if you're, if you're buying those probiotic pickles. You're oh, left right. with... now, now, just about that, like you said, most pickles that you're going to find are going to be kind of refined vinegar and salt. So if you're buying the probiotic pickles, I think you already know this, Chris, but just then the only two ingredients should be salt and cucumbers, and there won't be any vinegar in them. I don't know if we oh, talked about I that or not. That. I, thought, I thought they had vinegar in them. When you go to the store and you buy regular pickles off the shelf, those are going to be made out of vinegar. That, you're absolutely right. If you're wanting to buy um, a jar of pickles that's very probiotic rich, you're going to buy one that you'll probably find in the refrigerated section, and it won't have vinegar in it. Okay. It's going to be made more like um, a, a sauerkraut. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what brands you guys have out there. I know where I'm from, the, there's only one brand. It's called Bubby's. So you've got to have to kind of do a little digging. No, we have Bubby's here too, but you can use that juice to the, the water from that as a part of your sauces as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. So the other thing 
that I talk about a lot, and a lot of people do actually, is having a morning routine. Because if you start the day well, it sort of gives you momentum throughout the day. So I don't know if you do anything around morning routines with when you eat, when you weigh yourself, that sort of thing. Oh, yes. I noticed that you talked about that, just kind of like you you have a set time of day, you weigh yourself. If weighing yourself is your thing, I personally don't ever weigh myself, but you're good about saying weight is just a number. Some of us get wrapped up in that number too much, so we got to let it go a little bit. Yeah, morning routine, absolutely. You said it's that momentum. I feel like it sort of starts the, the domino effect of I made a good choice for breakfast. Now I need to make a good choice for lunch because I want to keep that momentum going. Like you said, most people I recommend, if they're working out in the morning, then immediately after that is when they need to eat, which I'm pretty sure you already do. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, it depends on my schedule. Okay. Well, I was thinking that you are usually a morning runner. Sometimes. It depends on the kind of workout. If it's a mm-hmm. longer workout, I'll do those in the morning because I know I won't get to them during the mm-hmm. day. If it's a shorter oh, workout, right. I might do it at lunch or after work. But the point is you want to put something in your body, probably a green smoothie, right after that. Yes, correct. So yeah. you're kind of primed and ready to absorb all those things. So it's a good time to get that nutrition in. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you all are right. a morning exerciser, that should be part of your routine. Yeah. And if you're not, like you so, said, whenever you just doing it, when you do. As part of that in the morning, sometimes I'll be up at five o'clock in the morning. Do you want to eat right away? You know, do you want to work out? Do you want to do some work first? I mean, how do you time that? Because if I eat at five, then it's four hours later at nine o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, there's a lot of variables for that. So it depends on your workout, your goals. If you're getting up in the morning and you're just doing an easy run, you're fine to just get up and run and then get your nutrition in afterwards. Now, I find if people are going to get up and start lifting weights, they most people do better to have some fuel in them. It really just depends on kind of, again, all the different variables going in. Okay. So one of the other things I like to do is I make my own applesauce. I'm making some right now. Oh. Yeah, this is a super tasty way to get some. Again, it's, it's kind of about sauces, right? Try to get some flavor into it and... Uh, Teresa and I here, we eat it with our oatmeal in the morning. You just core an apple and whatever else you have, pears, peaches. I always have a bunch of frozen bananas on hand. And you just bake them mm-hmm. for a couple hours in a any kind of bakeable container. And they automatically turn into applesauce. And you can add whatever you want to it, whether it's allspice or uh, it doesn't need any sweet. Or some, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah that it's really good. Great. And I usually throw a little uh, coconut oil into almost everything I make just to get more fat because I think one of the things I learned from you is I don't get enough fat in my diet because I'm sort of that uh, 1980s carb heavy yeah. guy. Yeah, I'm the carb yeah. heavy guy. So all of, yeah. uh, all I'm of oil glad. and coconut oil. I'm always glad when I see that you do that. I'm really glad the pendulum has swung the other way because I think we just forgot, hey, you can't absorb vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin K, vitamin E unless you have some fat in your diet. I mean, those are fat-soluble vitamins, so uh, that's important. Yeah, and we're not talking pork chops. You get olive oil, no, no. oil <laughs> avocados, awesome. walnuts, chia seeds, hemp seeds, all those kind of, also fish. Fish is a good one. I like fish because yeah. you get all those vitamin A's and D's and all that along with the fat altogether, so yeah. Yep, in those uh, little cans of uh, fish that they sell in the supermarket. I mean, it's technically it's a packaged food, but they're pretty clean, and it's a good source of that protein and those fatty acids, right? Yeah, if you can stomach sardines, they are a great food. <laughs> 
some people have a little bit of an issue with that, but no, but, I love um, sardines. Yes. I, I, good choice. Well, yeah. that is good. <laughs> I throw them into my salad at lunch. You have to be careful though, because that makes you stinky. Oh well, listen. Let me tell you, when I eat sardines at lunch, I literally um, go outside, eat them, throw them in the trash outside, and come back in because they can fill up a room with their <laughs> with their odor. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be considerate. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about some strategies around sabotage and the living in the world we live in, right? So a couple examples. I was at a uh, New Year's Day dinner at my in-laws, and it's a traditional German feast. So it was all pork and sausage, and luckily there was (laughs) sauerkraut. And uh, so I'm at work. (laughs) Yeah. I was at work one day this week, and they it's somebody's birthday, right? So people are giving me birthday cake. And, of course, as soon as my wife knows I'm on a diet, she'll start cooking all my favorite foods and leaving them out for me to pass by. So, well, so, so now you so know how to get your wife some, to cook your favorite foods. <laughs> tell right. her on a diet. Yeah, I just tell her I'm on a diet. I'm surprised she didn't come with a six-pack. So, <laughs> right. So what are some strategies to navigate this rocky world we live in? Oh, gosh. Oh, that is a loaded question. I like what you did. Like, I know when you got the birthday cake, you took it. It's almost easier to take the item and then deal with it later than to refuse it. (laughs) Because then people want to (laughs) push. I don't know what it is about human nature, but that's the way it goes. So like you did, you can take it, maybe take a small bite or two. If you're the person that does not have the willpower to only have a bite or two of it, sometimes what I have done personally is you take it, you thank them, you set it on your desk. I hope I'm not throwing myself under the bus here. And then it goes in the trash later in the day. (laughs) I'd rather it went in the trash and then put that trash in my body. So that's one strategy. I don't know if it's the best one. But it works. Um, I know you talked about when you came home and you were tired and things were being dangled in front of you. You had something already prepared, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I also know what's going to happen, so I'm not surprised. Well, that is knowing. I mean, knowing is half the battle, right? And something else that helps people, because I think we talked a little bit about this, is when you decide you're going to clean up your diet, we get in that deprivation mindset where you say, oh, I can't have that. And people, when you feel deprived immediately, you want to eat that. So there's a mindset focus. Instead of saying, I can't have that, it's the, pardon my language, but I don't eat that crap. I don't eat that. And that's empowering versus being deprived. Right. I find that to be another yep. helpful strategy. Yeah. Hey, flip, flip it around. All right. So we've been doing this exactly. for a week. I kind of... We've been doing this for a week, Rachel. I kind of feel like I'm at that inflection point. Typically, like a week in, I'll I'll get some sort of weird energy crisis just from the changeover, Mm, you know, not mm -hmm. for any dire reason. So I'm a little tired today, but nothing bad. So what would you, looking at me, you know, and what you know about me and what we're doing, what's your uh, recommendation? Well, I kind of already know this, Chris. Well, I mean, at this point, I think it's we're just going to ride out the wave because it's the nature of progress. <laughs> Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. You know what I'm saying? You're just riding it out. Yep. I think the most dangerous time is that there's a couple of days right after the enthusiasm starts to peter out and before the real benefits start to kick in. That's the real danger point. And I've always felt that's like seven to 10 days into any program. 
yeah, the motivation is not there. <laughs> the results aren't just crazy off the chart. So you're kind of thinking, why am I doing this? But again, it's just the nature of progress of sticking it out to the end because you won't know unless you do. Yep. And we've got, so, we said a finite number of 30 days. So that's nice. So you have an end in sight. Hopefully that doesn't mean you regress back to pizza and beer every Friday night, but. You know. uh, uh, uh. So. <laughs> We get a lot of people that are jumping on this bandwagon this time of year, right? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. What are one or two things, pieces of advice you could give them besides understanding? And, you know, the more you can move this stuff into your big brain and out of your limbic system and your reptilian brain, the better your chances are of being <laughs> successful. So knowing what's going to happen and positioning the habits and understanding the habits, all that stuff's really powerful. But what are the, you know, the one or two things, success tips you'd have for people this time of year who want to go into this? Well, I think a big thing is no, I mean, I, kind of like you said, though, it's just kind of having an idea of what's going to happen and knowing failure is probably going to happen along the way. And for those people that go, I just ate the whole sleeve of cookies. What the heck am I going to eat the other sleeve of cookies? It's all is not lost if you ate that whole sleeve of cookies. Just stop there. It's okay. Get Just do better tomorrow and then do better the next day. And before you know it, it's become a habit. It's become a lifestyle instead of a, a fix. Awesome. Good stuff. Like uh, Mark Twain said, oh. the best way to get out of a hole is to stop digging. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, my friend. Thanks for the time. I'll uh, edit this up. Hopefully we can give some people some hope, help some folks out, learn some things, and get healthier because that benefits us, everybody. Right? Yes. Sounds great. All right, my friend. Thank Hope you very much. We'll keep case. at this. Well, yeah, and we'll keep checking in to see how we're doing with our updates, all right? Yes, keep it up. All right, cheers. Keep up the good work, Chris. You're doing great. <laughs> okay, talk to you soon. All right, bye. Bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. No regrets. It's easy to say. No regrets. It's one of those things that is easy to say but hard to do. You hear it all the time, right? Famous and successful people say it. The question is asked in an, in an interview, knowing what you know today, would you have done it differently? Or, or maybe something like, do you ever regret? And the inevitable answer is, no, I have no regrets. That's hard for most of us to wrap our heads around, especially emotionally, when like in some Dickinsonian nightmare, you're surrounded by the ghosts of mistakes past. They haunt you. How many of us find those dark places and meet those specters of wrong paths taken? They come to haunt you when you're at your weakest. There are the things you wish you had done differently. Moments of truth where you played your cards poorly. Maybe even some moments of shame from the past, stepping to the fore to remind you of your failings. No regrets. Easy to say. Hard to do. What even are regrets? Regrets are emotional memories that you review like a bad movie clip in your head over and over. More importantly, regrets are an investment of resources and energy. When you engage your mind with talking to these specters, you are investing cycles of your finite capacity and energy. And guess what? You can't change the outcome of that thing in the past, no matter how much you think about it. You are investing energy in something you can have no influence over. 
That means you are sacrificing energy that you could use today or tomorrow for things you can change, but you're spending it in the past. Think about that. These mistakes, these missed opportunities, these paths not taken, they cannot be changed. By dwelling on them, you are taking energy away from things that can be changed and probably perpetuating future regrets by starving the now of your presence and your attention. I don't know about you, but my mind gets stuck in endless loops around these things. They become burned-in patterns of images and emotions. Once triggered, they play out on their own, like some demented video game that can't be won, playing over and over in the same dark corners. Here's what I should have said. Here's what I should have done. Spending energy on what cannot be changed. And all you're really doing is burning in that pattern. You're reinforcing that negative memory pattern. And as a result, a negative self-awareness. You can't make it better. It's in the past. The result can't be changed. So let's think about the reality. The memory is probably wrong. The way we remember it is from inside our mind's eye view, our frame of reference. I can guarantee you, you are the only one who remembers it that way. Furthermore, you have imprinted it with your own unique emotional response. No regrets. Now it should be starting to make sense as to why people insist on no regrets, right? Regrets are memory patterns that you invest your finite and valuable mental and emotional resources in that can't be changed or influenced or redone that are probably mostly imagined constructs of our own mental flagellation. It makes sense, right? When you think about it this way, having regrets is like embracing tooth decay. All right, now that we all agree to have no regrets, what can we do about it? I mean, it's not like you want to have regrets. They force themselves on you. How do you break an emotionally reinforced mental pattern like this? Well, the first step is to recognize them for what they are, when they manifest. Move that pattern from the subconscious reaction that it is into your big brain. Get good at recognizing when you are slipping into that pattern. Notice it. Be observant of how the pattern plays out. Recognizing it for what it is will take the mental power out of it. And second, you can redirect or interrupt the pattern. It depends on how you are best influenced. Is it by sound or touch or action? But when you feel that pattern coming on, maybe all it will take is for you to smile or to stand up or to clap your hands. Maybe you can say some word like gratitude and take a deep breath. Maybe you can visualize something better. Just break that pattern, replace it. Whatever works for you. What you're doing is hijacking the pattern and inserting your own outcome. And you take the power of the pattern and divert it to your own ends. And finally, as usual, I'll suggest mindfulness to deflate these regrets, these memory patterns. All right, stay with me. Here's a practice you can use to unpack and discard regrets. So you get yourself into a deep meditative state. And it's not important how you do this. Up to you, but some options are simple breathing meditation or visualization silence. There's plenty of guided meditation instances you can access online these days. Figure it out. 
So I'll walk you through one example. Now remember, I'm not a professional, so if you're easily distracted or programmed by this sort of thing, be careful. Maybe turn this off. I don't want you to crash your car or go into convulsions or anything. I'm not trying to hypnotize you. I'm giving you an example of a technique. So with this particular visualization, you picture yourself in a relaxed place, like in a hammock or floating on clouds or laying in a grassy field in the sun, whatever makes you feel relaxed and safe. So take a deep breath, a big deep breath in. Exhale slowly. Do it again. Do this two or three times. Now picture yourself floating down a warm, calm, slow-moving river. The sun is warm on your face. The water is swirling around as your fingers dip into the stream. You feel incredibly relaxed and warm and safe. And now think about one of your regrets. It's okay, it can't hurt you here. See your regrets. Visualize them as little boxes with lids and ribbons. And imagine yourself reaching in and taking those boxes out and then tying them slowly and looking inside at the regret, accepting it for what it is. Then let the box go and watch it float away. See it peacefully float away. And maybe it sinks slowly into the warm river. And feel the power and emotion of that regret floating away. Feel the peace of never having that regret ever again. And now one by one, grab all the little boxes of regret and open them up and let them float away. Okay. Open your eyes, rub your hands together, take a couple deep breaths, shake it out. Feel better? No regrets. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends. You have eaten handfuls of probiotic macronutrients to the end of episode 4379 of the Run Run Live podcast. Coach is starting to ramp me up for the spring season. It looks like he's going to add some back-to-back volume to my weekends in addition to my normal bus and marathon training cycle. And I'm not going to run any of those spring races with Frank and Brian. Maybe I'll do Eastern States in March, but I'm skipping Derry. I'm going to run my plan, focus on staying healthy. I'm not even halfway into the diet reboot, but I already feel better. I have so much more energy in my runs. I feel like someone removed a sandbag from my shoulders. And I've got an hour on the schedule today. I think I'll put on my old trail shoes and go out and muck about in the snow in the woods. Maybe I'll take Buddy with me for a little bit of it. The old dog is getting cabin fever. Next week, I'm talking to a really cool guest, Lori, who is running Boston this year. She got hit by a car out running in 2016 and went from being in a coma for five days to running New York and Boston. And I hope the audio is good. I hope it's good because uh, it's an impactful story. I've been working some long hours in the city. I get up at 5 a.m., And I am on the road by 6 a.m. and in the city by 7 a.m. And depending on my schedule, I usually hit my workout in the morning to get it done and get it off my plate, which gets me into the office, you know, around 8.30. Typically, I'll keep working until 6 or 7 o'clock at night and get back to my house around 8. It's a long day. 
And towards the end of the week, especially this week, with my head cold and a little bit of travel, I was dragging. I had a hill workout on Friday morning, and I I haven't quite figured out a good place to do hill workouts in the city yet, so I did it on the treadmill in the gym. And I was surprised at how easy it felt given the head cold and how I was dragging. And again, the diet reboot is amazing for your workout energy. And then I got showered up and put my work clothes on. The office isn't suit and tie, but it's business dress. And I'm an executive, so I try to err on the side of business. I had a full day of meetings, including interviewing a candidate for a position I'm hiring. So I had to get ready to go. But during the day, I was noticing how baggy my underwear felt. Now, I don't wear anything special, just your run-of-the-mill boxer briefs. And I kept thinking there must be something going on with this pair of underwear because they just aren't fitting right. Towards the end of the day, I realized what it was. Have you guessed? Yeah, I was so tired in the morning, I put my underwear on backwards and didn't realize it until the day was almost over. I had a good chuckle over that. Hey, no regrets, right? I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Okay, my friends, you have eaten handfuls of probiotic macronutrients to the end of episode 4-379 of the Run Run Live podcast. <laughs> uh, oh boy, let's start over again. Okay, my friends, you have eaten handfuls of probiotic macronutrients. Water break. <clears throat> there we go. Brain, vocal cords, voice. Ready, go. Okay, my friends. <laughs>